We're going to be going through the uh, book of Philippians over the next, uh, who knows how long, weeks or months. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny this week, I keep hearing people tell me verses they've been, that they've been reading in Philippians just just now, you know, that, that was about maybe the fifth time somebody has said, you know, I, there's this verse in Philippians that, that I read and uh, one of the... Uh, some some friends of ours in, in Arkansas, the church they go to, I found out their pastor is going through the book of Philippians also. So there there must be something about this book. Yes, it's a it's a book of joy. And uh like like uh Jim said, there are a lot of memorizable verses in this. You know, as I as I was reading through this many times over this book, I, I Said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. You know, what are, what are some of the the good verses in there? Be anxious for nothing. Uh, which is what? What does that say? Mm-hmm. Think on those things. Yes. Rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> Again, I say rejoice. So I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me. Anyway, um, as we go through this, uh, today I'd like to just kind of give an overview, give a background. And, and we, we will actually get into the text, a couple verses. We'll, we'll get through the first two verses. But, you know, one of the really cool things about Philippians, as we look in the book of Acts, we, we kind of are given the story of how this church started when Paul and... When, who was with him, Silas, Paul and Silas, uh, planted this church. They, uh, we, we get a little bit of story it's, it, of the story. It's Acts 16. So the, uh, the city of Philippi, it was a, uh, a leading city, it says. It was, it was a very significant place. And it was in uh, Macedonia, which is in the, uh, the northeast part of uh, modern Greece, and uh, Paul's first visit here in this this church he planted was the first church to be planted in Europe. And one of the uh, women that we're going to look at real briefly was the uh, the first uh, convert in Europe. So we we have this account in Acts 16 in which Paul made his uh, he, he was on his second missionary journey, and. Um, you know, Paul had had founded some churches in the uh, the southern part of uh, Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, and he was apparently revisiting some of these churches on the second journey, and he met this this young man Timothy for the first time. Timothy was the son of a, a Jewish woman. His dad was a, a Gentile. He he was a Greek. And it says that Timothy was was well spoken of by the people. Paul put a high value on on a good reputation, so he ended up taking Timothy with him. And uh, their their relationship spanned about twenty years. Paul was was a mentor to this young man, and you know, we we know we've got a couple of of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. But Paul and Timothy were together when Paul wrote this 
letter to the Ephesians. Well, Paul, he was he was a guy who would uh, make plans and operate according to those plans, but he was also open to the Spirit, the, the leading and, and direction of the Spirit. And in, in Acts 16, it, it, we, we run into kind of a curious thing. Paul was going to go to Asia and and bring the gospel, and it says the Holy Spirit forbade him. A couple times it says that, you know, the Spirit really caused Paul to deviate from his plans and go here to uh, to Macedonia instead. And it was quite a miraculous thing. The the account is given of a, a vision that uh, Paul had. Um, verse 6, it says they went through the region of... Uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, all these, these names. Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, My, Mysia uh, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately it says, We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to uh, preach the gospel to them. So Paul and Timothy went to where the Lord was was leading them. They uh, went to this colony, this leading city in Macedonia, you know, sometimes sometimes we have plans, right? It's it's good to plan, but sometimes God uh, changes our plans for us. You know, and I, I think probably most of us have some stories about that. Our, you know, our path has has been changed several times throughout our marriage. You know, we we want to uh, when we when we pray for God's guidance, it's it's good to. Pray for open doors, but it's also good to pray for closed doors. You know, if, if the direction we're going isn't where we want the Lord to take, or the Lord wants to take us, you know, we want to be sensitive to that and ask that the Lord would, would show us that as well. And that's what's happening here. Now, we don't know how Paul was forbidden by the Spirit, but uh, we, we do know that it was his plan for Paul and Timothy to or Paul and Silas, or Timothy, Paul and Timothy to go to Europe and uh, bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And something else really interesting is we have three short bio- or biographical sketches of some of the uh, the first people to encounter the Lord as a result of, of Paul's ministry there. And uh, the first one is uh, Lydia. Lydia was a, a successful businesswoman. And according to the account, when uh, Paul and his companions went to Philippi, they, they went to the river to look for the place of prayer, it says. Now, this was Paul's habit to go to uh, synagogues whenever he went to a new place, and he would, he would begin there and preach the gospel to the Jews. Well, synagogues are called places of prayer, but they aren't necessarily... Places of prayer aren't necessarily synagogues because a synagogue required 10 men to be an official synagogue. Well, it says that he went to this place of prayer and there were women praying there. 
So this was more of an informal kind of uh, prayer gathering, prayer place, a, a place of prayer. That's where Paul went, and he, he met this, this woman, Lydia. Uh, she, her business was uh, purple cloth, and she was from uh, another major city on the other side in, in what would be now Turkey, Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was famous for its uh, purple dye. It was, it was very expensive, it was something that, you know, purple was kind of a color of, of royalty. Uh, she was most likely a Gentile that had either, be, had either been converted to uh, Judaism or she was what we would call a, a God seeker. You know, she was seeking for, for God. And uh, Paul's message with the gospel resonated with Lydia. It says that, uh, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Don't you love that? The Lord opened her heart to, to hear the gospel. God orchestrated this encounter. You know, he, he called Paul through this vision to go to Macedonia, where this woman was who was, who was seeking God, and he put it in Paul's heart to seek out this place of prayer where Lydia just happened to be where Lydia could hear about Jesus and uh, receive him as, as her savior. And it says not only did, did Lydia receive the Lord, but Paul went to Lydia's family and they received the Lord too. So her, her household was saved. You know, this, this is a picture of the power of God's grace. It's a picture of, of, of God's uh, orchestration and, and his sovereignty. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16, which says that whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He certainly uh, rewarded Lydia here. And it, it, it would appear that uh, perhaps the, uh, the, the church in Philippi then began at Lydia's house. Now, the next person we see is quite different from Lydia. The next person we see, we don't even know her name. The name's not given, but she was a, a slave girl. Really night and day uh, different from, from Lydia. It says that she has a spirit of divination. You know, she has these uh, demonic powers which enable her to uh, predict the future. And she was being used by her, her owners to make money telling people's fortunes. And, uh, you know, so she was not only a, a slave to her owners, but she was a slave to uh, the, these dark powers, these, these demonic powers, which, which gave her uh, occultic powers. And uh, it's kind of interesting. It says that she went around following Paul around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's kind of weird, huh? What she's saying is true, but she's just following these guys around, Paul and his, his companions, saying this day after day. And after, after a few days, uh, Paul became kind of annoyed. You know, I guess this isn't the kind of co commendation Paul wanted, you know, from, from demons. But, you know, it was, it was hindering the work of the gospel. It was just uh, 
a distraction. And uh, Paul casts this, this spirit out of the girl. It doesn't say that uh, she was saved. I'd like to think she was, but the demons left her. She no longer had this power of divination. Uh, so this, this miracle causes significant loss of income for her owners. And, uh, you know, their, their official reason when they charged Paul, the, the reason for their opposition was that Paul and Silas were advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to, to practice. So it says that Paul and Silas were, were dragged into the marketplace in front of the authorities. They were stripped severely flogged and thrown into prison with, without a trial. And they were, they were sent to the, uh, the inner cell. This is the maximum security part of the prison. It's a smelly, dark, damp, miserable place with sewage leaking in and, and probably rats. It says they were put into stocks. Well, the jailer, who's the third person we, we read about here, was uh, most likely a, uh, a retired Roman army member, his reward was this position in uh, this, this jail as, as the, uh, the prison guard, the jail guard, uh, going above and beyond in persecuting and, and uh, essentially torturing Paul and Silas. It says their, their feet were fastened in stocks. So this is the third person... Uh, Paul and Silas are here in, in prison. Their feet are in stocks in such a way that, you know, it's impossible to move without without cramping, uh, you know. But in their suffering, what does it say they were doing? They were rejoicing. They were, they were singing hymns to God. Uh, and it says the other prisoners could hear them, and this uh, guard could hear as well. And it says, suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Talk about the Lord moving and speaking to people's hearts. What must I do to be saved? And so the jailer took Paul and Silas home. Paul had said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They went to the jailer's home and his family was saved also. The jailer and all his family. So... This is the uh, the beginning of the church in Philippi. These are these are some of the people this letter to the Philippians was written to. And it's it's interesting we've got we've got these three different kinds of people that make up this church. I, I would call this diversity. Would you not? We we've got this uh, very wealthy businesswoman who's seeking God. We've got this this slave girl who's under the, the control of her owners and demonic powers who the Lord rescues from that. And we have this, uh, this cruel jailer, you know, probably pretty gruff, bitter kind of person, 
all coming together and forming a church. So Jesus steps into each situation and brings transformation. He brings change. Paul wrote this, this letter to the Philippians from inside another prison, <clears throat> probably in Rome about uh, AD 60. And uh, somebody mentioned when we brought up uh, Philippians, it's, this is a letter of joy. This is a very encouraging letter. A lot of Paul's letters are, are written, it seems, to address problems in the church. In, the, in individual churches, the, the letter to the Corinthians, certainly, the letter to the, the Galatians. You know, many of these churches had issues that Paul was addressing, but we really don't see that in, in this uh, letter to the Philippians. This, this is a church that's doing well, and you can see when Paul writes this letter how much he loves these people. It's, it's, a, it's a good book for us to go through right now, I believe. It's a letter of joy. So by way of introduction, continuing the introduction, let's look at Paul's introduction. We're going to look at the first couple verses. And what I'd like, to, what I'd like for us to see is uh, our identity. We're going to first look at Paul's identity, Paul and Timothy, letters from Paul and Timothy. We're going to look at our identity in Christ, and we're going to look at the, the privilege of our identity in Christ. So the first couple verses say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So from these first two verses, what I'd like for us to do is see identity. First, let's look at Paul's identity in Christ. So along with Timothy, Paul identifies himself as what? A servant of Christ. In the, uh, in the original language, the, the, the Greek word is doulos, which isn't uh, a household servant. That's, that's a different word. But the word doulos is, in the Greek, uh, bondservant or slave, you know, the, the, uh, the idea is ownership. Paul is not his own person anymore. He belongs to the Lord. He belongs to Jesus. He's, he's a slave of Jesus. He does what Jesus says. You know, he, he no longer belongs to himself. You know, rather than doing his own bidding, bidding he, he does what he does according to the will of the Lord Jesus. And uh, notice Paul doesn't brag about his credentials here. You know, in, a, in some of his other letters, he says Paul, an apostle of, of Jesus Christ. You know, per, perhaps in some of those letters, he's saying that just to say, you know, this, this is the authority that I have. This is from Jesus. He didn't, I don't think he felt like he had to say that to this church. He just says simply, Paul, a slave of Christ. You know, Paul had a lot of credentials he, he could have put down. You know, he was, he says elsewhere in, a, in another letter that he's well-educated. He was educated, taught by uh, Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was a Jew of Jews from, from the tribe of Benjamin and 
followed the law to the letter and with zeal. He was, he was the most zealous Pharisee there was. He was persecuting the Christians. But here he just says, Paul, a servant of Christ. I'm a bond servant of Christ. He owns me. I'm not my own. And this is what mattered to Paul. This is what mattered to Paul. This is Paul's identity. You know, and he, he sets the tone of the letter right here in this, in this first sentence. You know, later he's going to humble himself and, and became a suffering servant for us. And, and he's going to say, you know, we need to have that same mind. We need to do the same thing, consider ourselves as servants. That's what he's saying here. You know, Jesus... Jesus created all things, it says in Colossians and in, in uh, John. And he holds everything together, but he, he came to suffer and, and die for us. Next, let's look, at, let's look at our identity. Paul goes on to say, to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now this this letter was was widely circulated. You know, once once it went to the Philippians, copies were made and it was kind of shot out to the different churches. So, you know, this this really is for all Christians and it certainly applies to us. This letter is to us written to the saints, the the faithful ones in, in Christ Jesus. And it speaks to our identity to the saints. What's what's a saint? You know, a, forgiven a forgiven sinner. That is true. The uh, the word. Well, first of all, let's look at what it is. In some branches of Christianity, a saint is a person who uh, is very holy, who is known for his or her heroic sanctity, uh, who's thought to be in heaven. Uh, in, in the 10th century, Pope John the 15th formalized a process which identified saints. So, you know, you hear of St. Christopher and St. this guy and that. Uh, but that's not how the word is used here. Paul is using this to talk about uh, Christians, believers who are here on earth in the churches. He's, he's not writing this to uh, dead people. You know, according to New Testament scripture, if you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and received him as your savior, you are a saint. Uh, this is your identity. This is your identity. This book is for you. And, uh, the, the Greek word, hagios, uh, saint describes someone who's dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. The same, the same word is used, is translated other ways, holy. It's translated uh, in, in different forms to, uh, as sanctification, being made holy. They all come from the same word. So something that's holy is, is something that is set apart and dedicated, consecrated for, for God's service. And that's what this book is about. This is our identity. We are saints. We are set apart for God's service. We're his, we're in Christ, and you know, we'll, we'll get more into what that means as we dig into this book. In Ephesians, you know, Paul talks about how we've been chosen in Christ before the uh, foundation of the world. Uh, chosen for what? It says that we should be holy and blameless 
before him, that we should be saints. This is our identity as God's children. He's he's chosen us to be saints. Um, So positionally, when we're saved, we are declared holy. We are declared saints. But our, our holiness is also a, uh, it's a process, a uh, process, a progress in sanctification. As, as Jesus keeps working on us, we become more mature, even more holy. So that's progressive sanctification. And then we, we look forward one day to being glorified. Our, our holiness will, will culminate when we see Jesus face to face. So Paul's addressing the saints. And uh, it's kind of interesting here. Paul, Paul next in the letter says, with the overseers and deacons. And uh, you know, first I want to point out that many times the, the order of words in the New Testament is important. And I think it's significant that, that Paul mentions the saints. He's saying, all of you, before he mentions the, the leadership. That's kind of backwards from how we probably would do it. You know, if we were uh, addressing an organization, you know, maybe we'd say, you know, to the, the, the president, the vice president, and, you know, board, and everybody else. No, Paul's, Paul's emphasizing the the entirety of of the church here. But he does acknowledge the the leadership of the church. And something that is interesting here is that uh, this is a church that's doing well. They've got a good balance. The the, the leaders, he he doesn't have to uh, address the leaders and say, you know, you guys need to cool your jets you know, don't don't be domineering, da da da, like he does in some other some of the other letters. Uh, overseers and deacons. The the word uh, overseer comes from the Greek word episkopos, which uh, refers to a, like a supervisor, an overseer. The oversight, supervision, kind of means the same thing, right? These are the the people who have organizational responsibility and leadership in the church. They're the ones that. You know, have a special interest in, in guarding the doctrine of the church, you know, the apostolic doctrine that's been passed on. Uh, in Acts 20, when Paul's addressing the elders of the church in Ephesians, he uses this word episkopos. He also uses the words for uh, elder and pastor, shepherd, all together. And th- those words come together frequently in, in the New Testament. He says, to these Ephesian elders, shepherd the flock, that's the uh, the pastor role, shepherd the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's given you oversight of the church. So he's, you know, Paul here in this book, he's, he's talking to a church that is, has been uh, properly equipped with Christian men who are overseeing and shepherding as they should be. This church was a well-ordered church. Let's get back to this word saint. Uh, this is a word that, uh, that applies to our identity. You know, we're set apart for God's service, consecrated, holy. Um, you know, he's made us his own. He's adopted all of us. 
This is not a small matter. And Paul goes on to talk about the, uh, the privilege of our identity as saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, the privilege of our identity. In verse 2, he gives his usual greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he says, grace and peace. Now, the, uh, this, this word for grace that he uses is, is similar. He kind of does a play on word play on words, uh, he's, he's given the normal traditional Greek greeting, which is essentially greetings. The word is karyon, uh, karyen, uh, which means greetings. Paul uses charis, uh, spelled a little bit differently. It's similar, but theologically much more profound. It means grace. Now, the, uh, the word for peace uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Jewish greeting would be peace. You see somebody in the marketplace, what do you say? Shalom. Shalom. A very rich word. You know, it doesn't just mean a cessation of hostility. This, this Hebrew word shalom uh, incorporates this, this idea of, of fullness, wholeness. Things are right. Things are the way they should be. And that is that is peace. So Paul... Paul combines the uh, the traditional Greek greeting with the traditional Jewish greeting when he says grace and peace. Uh, each of these words are, are important to us as as Christians, right? Uh, both represent the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Both of them represent the uh, the privilege of our identity as saints as holy ones in, in Jesus. And uh, here again, I think the order is significant. He says grace and peace. You know, grace, God's grace is necessary for us to have peace. You know, Paul is going to develop this, this idea of grace and pre, uh, peace throughout the book and uh, how they help to show us what our identity is. Uh, he, he uses this word grace three times in the book. In fact, the uh, the last verse, uh, he'll say it uh, three times in this book, but it's used 155 times in the New Testament, grace. It's a very, very major theme in the New Testament. You know, it, it emphasizes God's initiative in our, our salvation. You know, it's, uh, it was by his love that he came, that Jesus Christ suffered and, and died to pay the penalty of our sin. You know, it has nothing to do with our works. It has nothing to do with how good we are. You know, his grace through our faith is how we are saved. Uh, we, we have no bragging rights when it, when it comes to this. Uh, it's, it's from him. It's from his grace. We don't deserve it. And our, the, his continuing work in our lives is also from his grace. You know, we, we like to think maybe we're good Christians because we follow the rules well and we, we do good things and, you know, we're, we're better than these people over here or we're better than them. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's what Jesus has done. And this is something we, we share with those who have been adopted, the others who've been adopted into the family of God. So... Uh, in verse 7, he's going to use this word again. He says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. We're all in this together. We're all in God's grace together. 
our fellowship is a fellowship of grace. And uh, the very last, the very last verse uh, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul begins and ends this epistle, this letter with God's grace. I think that's pretty cool. Now the word peace appears three times again, just like grace in Philippians. It's used 92 times in the New Testament. You know, very, very positive, very rich word, shalom in the Hebrew. But, you know, here we are, human beings on earth. Uh, we've, we've lost that peace as, as humankind. Uh, you know, the whole order of the, the world is, is messed up. We don't have shalom on earth. Things aren't whole. Things aren't right. Things have not yet been restored. Um, you know, we we have peace through through Jesus Christ, through Him only. Without without Him, we we are. It says in the Bible, we're enemies. We're at enmity with with God. And Jesus has come to bring reconciliation and, and peace. But our sin and rebellion has destroyed that peace. You know, it's only, only after God's grace has been applied that, that we have that peace in Jesus and become identified with him. Then we have real peace. So through Jesus, we have peace through God. Through him, we have peace with each other. So, you know, we, we also see some more of our identity here. You know, we have grace and peace from God our Father. It says, God our Father, you know, we're, we're his children. We're his children. He's the God of peace. We're his servants. He's our, he's our keeper. He's our helper. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. Uh, you know, our, our, our purpose is, is grounded in the, the fact that he loves us and has showered us with his grace and given us his peace. And we exist to glorify him. So this is the introduction to Philippians. We're going to get on with it next week. We're going to talk about uh, how, how Paul thanks the Lord for these people in his prayers and how he prays for them. So it's a, a good, another good tutorial on prayer. We can learn a lot about how to pray from each, for each other by looking at Paul's prayers. There, there are many of them in his epistles, and uh, that's, that's what we're going to spend tomorrow, uh, next week on. This book is uh, really written in a couple of major sections. You know, the first... Um, section is that uh, then he, he talks about life in Christ you know th- this is a very practical book you know what it looks like to live the Christian life uh, I look forward to going through this book I'm, I'm pretty excited about it I hope you are too and what I'd like to ask you to do here's here's your assignment for the week read through this book I think in my bible it may be four pages it's it's a it's a short book, and so what I'd, what I'd like 
for us all to do is, uh, as we go through it, each week, read through the book. Read through the book and pay particular attention to the, uh, the part we'll be covering next time. And when you, when you hit those little gems, write them down on a little card or a piece of paper and, and, and start memorizing Scripture. This is, this is a, if, if you haven't really been a person to memorize Scripture, this, this is a good place to start. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a book of joy. It's a book of confidence uh, for all of us saints. Uh, together in unity. That's unity is another major theme here, which we need to look at. You know, and my hope is that we're all going to be affected by this book. And my hope is that we are transformed as as God opens up His His Word to us as we go through this book. Uh, pray with me, um, Lord God. We we thank you. We praise you. You are you are the God of grace. You are the the God of peace. Uh, your, your love, Lord, is is boundless. Uh, it, it never ends. Your your love endures forever. And uh, I, th- I thank you, Lord, for the, the gift of salvation. Lord, that if if we believe in you and receive you, you give us the privilege of being called your your sons and daughters. So I ask you, Lord, as, as we draw close to you, as we go through your word, I pray that you would draw close to us. Uh, bring us, Lord, individually and as a congregation, your, your shalom, your, your peace, Lord. Bring that to our, conversa- our congregation. Lord, help us to, uh, to be peacemakers. Uh, let, us, let us be givers of grace to each other. Uh, use us, Lord, to impact our community, Lord, to share the, the gospel of peace, the gospel of, of grace. Uh, we ask you, Lord, that you uh, give us your protection, keep us safe as, as we go out, and uh, just help us, Lord, to, to be people who, who build each other up and proclaim your word, your good news, your gospel, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.